When John the Baptist heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. So as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. So I came across this picture on Lisa Fox's Facebook feed this week. It turned out to be pretty good fodder and inspiration about what we see and what we hear and have often heard about today's gospel story and John the Baptist. The girls in the picture are six or seven years older now, and I got grandma's permission to show it. So if they get mad about it, they can take that up with her. And just to spread the wealth, I dug up one of my own. These two are big enough to kick my butt these days, but I decided to take my chances with forgiveness rather than permission in their case. What is true for so many kids, as it was for me about a million years ago, is that strangers in red suits are scary. And these pictures, along with a couple of conversations I had this week, had me thinking differently about what's going on with John the Baptist and Jesus in this morning's gospel. Most of us have heard about doubting Thomas, right? The disciple who, after the resurrection, would not believe, could not believe Jesus had been raised from the dead until he could see the marks of the nails in his hands and put his fingers in the marks of the nails and his hands in his side. He doubted it. Well, today we hear about a different kind of doubter in John the Baptist, the one who came before Jesus to pave the way. John the Baptist, the one who last week baptized with water, and promised that the one coming was Jesus who would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, the one who sits in prison in this morning's gospel story because he's been so outspoken and so faithful about his calling to prepare the world for Jesus' coming. This week, we hear even John the Baptist, though, had some doubts, or at least some hard questions, or at least he wondered a bit about who this Jesus really was, and if he was everything he seemed cracked up to be. 
Are you the one who's coming, or should we wait for another? He wants to know. But John's doubts and John's questions aren't that much of a surprise when you consider all that he'd been expecting. He'd been associating Jesus' coming with a terrible day of judgment. John had been preaching and promising things like holy spirits, winnowing forks, unquenchable fires, threshing floors, and burned up chaff. John seems to have envisioned a Messiah of wrath who would make sinners pay and pay dearly for their sins. And the picture John the Baptist paints is the coming reign of God that seems to be filled with a sense of terror and fear and judgment and doom. And there's a lot of that still around in this world. I had a conversation just this week with some pastors who were bemoaning some children's sermons that they'd heard that taught kids to behave or else, to be good or else, to have faith or else. Basically, sermons that sounded to be more like Santa Claus than about Jesus. And I was talking with a new friend this week, too, about his different experiences in different churches. And he and I were lamenting how so many, too many Christians in communities of faith seem to stake their identity and find their purpose based on who they keep out. Of course, there's the LGBTQ factor. And there are still as many churches as not, it seems, who refuse to allow women in the pulpit or strangers at the communion table. And I don't remember all the details, but my new friend told me about a woman he knew who wasn't welcome in her family's congregation because she'd been divorced a couple of times and because she had too many kids with too many different dads. And I know in my head that places like that exist, but it still surprises and it still saddens me to hear real-life examples of it so close to home. Anyway, this kind of doom and gloom and shame and separation, this sort of judgment and wrath and ungrace, still rules so much of what the world hears and so much of what the world expects when they consider God's coming in Jesus just like it did back in John the Baptist's day. So it's no wonder people in our families and in our neighborhoods and out there in the world will search for more meaning, more comfort and hope in these days of Christmas, in all the trees and in all the trimmings, in all the presents and in all the parties of this season. It's no wonder that there are more people who will spend Christmas Eve waiting for Santa than there will be people preparing for the Messiah. It's no wonder there are more of God's children wringing their hands over what may or may not show up under their Christmas tree instead of celebrating what has already come and will come again in Jesus Christ the Lord. And I'm frustrated and I'm dismayed and I'm sad about that. But I don't blame any one of those people any more than I blame the children who are scared of meeting Santa at the mall. We tell little kids that Santa's always watching, that they better not pout or cry, that they better be good for goodness sake or else 
the strange, hairy man who lives up north is going to hold it against them. And then we tell them to go sit on his lap. (laughs) And we try to convince them that he's jolly and good and sweet and nice and safe. It all seems very much, too much, like what too many do, and maybe even what John the Baptist was doing with Jesus back in the day. Be good or else. Behave or else. Repent or else. Remember all those winnowing forks and threshing floors and unquenchable fires as part of his invitation to holy baptism? I would have turned tail and run the other way myself. I am sure of it. And I think even though Jesus loves John the Baptist and holds him in very high regard, as we heard, it's why his command for John and for his followers this morning is something very different. And I believe it's our command too. Jesus says simply, go and tell what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf here, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. In other words, look at the good, lovely, gracious things I've been doing. Look at the forgiveness I've offered. Look at the healing I've accomplished. Look at the sinners I've loved. Look at the outsiders I've welcomed. Look at the hope that I bring. If people could really see more and actually hear more of that kind of good news of God's activity among us, if we in the church would work more at embodying that kind of story, they might know more of what God has done and means to do for them just the same. It makes me wonder if the way I live makes people really want to come and hear this story from me. I like to keep asking myself how our preaching and how our teaching at Cross of Grace can open doors so that people will want to come in and find out what's so good about this news we claim. I want to live like my Messiah, like our Messiah is one of good news for the poor, one who heals sick people, one who accepts and forgives those who we or the world around us would rather maybe reject. I want to live and I want to love the world in a way that will make people want to accept rather than run screaming from the face of Jesus. And I think if people can see it through me, and if people can see it through you too, then they will be a lot more likely to want to come close and meet this Jesus and make themselves comfortable in the lap of God's grace and be part of the worship and learning and service we celebrate and share here week after week after week. And that's where our call comes in these waning days of Advent. The rest of the world, like John the Baptist, I think, needs to know and needs to see and needs to feel more of what it is to wait for and to hope in when it comes to Jesus Christ. People need to see by our actions that we're waiting for the one who calls people. Not because we have to, but because we want to, because we get to give away our time and our money and our hard work 
to grow churches, to give gifts to kids that would otherwise not have them, to provide food and clothes to people who otherwise would have none of it. People need to know that our eyes have been opened to the truth about ourselves and about our God. That by the power of faith in God's grace, prejudice and bigotry and discrimination of any kind have no place among us. People need to hear from our lips how God's promise of forgiveness and eternal life brings out from under the crippling burdens of this world anyone who's invited to walk by faith and to face each new day with hope no matter what each new day holds for them. People need to meet, and you and me, a Jesus who speaks of peace to a world at war, who offers food to hungry people, comfort for those who are hurting, love for those who are lonely, homecoming for those that are lost, and a wide welcome with no strings attached. John seems to have expected something entirely different than what God delivered in Jesus Christ, or at least his words and his ways aren't as gracious as the hope he proclaimed. I believe too many in our world expect something entirely different too, too much of the time, in what God has offered in Jesus Christ. Our call is to take away the mystery and the misconception and the misunderstanding of that. To show and to tell our friends, our families, and our neighbors what merciful, loving, life-giving things God has done. What merciful, loving, life-giving things God is doing. And what merciful, loving, life-giving things God will do through the grace that is born for all of us in Jesus Christ at Christmas. Amen.